0: The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to the Inclusive Excellence podcast. May is Asian and Pacific American Heritage Month, a month that honors and celebrates Asian American and Pacific Islander identity, also known as AAPI. While there are many events that recognize this special month, it is important to acknowledge that this time feels different. The wave of anti-Asian violence and racism that has negatively impacted the community is something that cannot be dismissed. We continue our series called AAPI at Cornell, where you will hear the stories of Cornell staff members in their authentic voice, celebrating their heritage and the joys of being Asian and Pacific Islander, while also naming the very real concerns that they experience in this moment. My name is Toral Patel.
1: My name is Anthony Sis.
0: And you are listening to AAPI at Cornell. The final episode in this series is a continuation of our conversation with Caleb Yu, Heihei Depew, and Christina Liang. Thank you for joining us again on the last episode of this special series. To wrap up this conversation, I will talk a little bit about how each of you have been impacted by the recent events. And so let's kind of start maybe more broadly with what it means to be Asian, whether it's here at Cornell or Ithaca or in the United States at this time.
2: For me, I I sit in, I think, kind of a unique role at Cornell where I do student conduct work, right? And so a lot of the students who come through our office, they're required to come. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of make that joke sometimes. It's like, we're not studying abroad. Like People are not smiling and happy and excited to come into entire office and that's okay right but I think what that means for me though is I come into a space with a tremendous amount of authority and that can come through when I meet with students who are particularly emotional whether it be anxious defensive whatever that emotion may be and when I see Asian students come through our office um, which I will say is few and far between not to reinforce model minority (laughs) myths but when, when that does happen I think It's particularly meaningful, and I feel like the connection is almost automatic, because it gives them an opportunity for me to just say, how are you doing? There's a significant Asian population at Cornell, but I think when we look at the staff and faculty, the numbers are not proportionate, and that's meaningful, I think, for our students. Kind of connected to our previous conversation about folks who are kind of brought up in this world of being silent, of kind of absorbing whatever comes at you, that mentality, that's reinforced when you are in a space at an institution where people don't look like you, right? The the people who are supposed to provide the resources and support and education may not look like you. And so it's been particularly meaningful for me to be invited into spaces like this to talk and to just let our students, I think, know that we are out there and, and we are here to listen. We are here to support in different types of ways. What it means for me to be Asian in Ithaca, you know, that's a tough question because I have been here for a period of time and I still struggle to find community, right? I, I I have kind of like a really small little pod of really good friends that I'm so grateful for, but it feels difficult to find a sense of belonging here in the Ithaca area. And, and I think that's a that's a multitude of reasons behind that, but I do think the diversity and the fact that there's a very transient community within Ithaca that can make it really hard for people to kind of place their roots. And what it means for me to be Asian in the country right now, I've had a lot of uh, emotions, I think, in the past couple of weeks uh, and months as I navigate all the really terrible things that I kind of hear in the background and and as well as in my face, right? And I process it by going through the emotions as, as I want to. Right. I kind of am at that point in my in my life and in my world where I just spent a lot of time being worried about my family. <laughs> That's really the, the primary piece. I really appreciate a lot of my colleagues and my friends reaching out to me and sharing kind of that gentle care that I did with my Black friends, right? When when we were seeing everything that was going on with systemic racism against the Black community. And ironically, I will say when people reached out to me to make sure I was okay, it didn't feel as good as I thought it would feel. And I think it's because that's just not how my mind is wired, right? Like, it's like a thank you, thank you, I appreciate you, right? But I'm spending all my energy and time worried about my family, worried about my grandparents who live in Brooklyn. And so it's a reminder for me that as we deal with these very important issues in America, in terms of how we are treating marginalized community, whether it be by your race, your gender, your sexuality, whatever it may be, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? It's not that anytime something happens within a particular community, we we do the same motions. We reach out. We say we're with them. We post a meme. We host a protest. It's not a checklist. Right? It's different for every community. One of my friends who is still in this city went to check up on my grandparents, and that made me cry, right? Because I was like, that's what I needed. That's what I needed you to do. And she didn't tell me anything. It was just my, my grandparents letting me know later on that that happened. And I was like, yep, that's what I needed without you even reaching out to me. right? So that's kind of how I feel in the moment, being Asian in this country.
1: I definitely relate to part of Christina sharing, especially with that part, like what does it mean to be Asian in Ithaca? So my family's been moving to Ithaca for, gosh, almost three years now before this I lived in Boston, uh, my wife is from uh, the Bay Area. And so both like the Bay Area and Boston, we have uh, uh, large groups of like Asian American friends and we have a very strong community there. I remember the first year after we moved to Ithaca, we moved here in August and on a Thanksgiving dinner, a group of our Asian American friends drove down from Boston to visit us and spend the Thanksgiving with us. And that was the best time. And I remember sharing with them, like, how this past, like, three months been. And I just started crying. I was like, oh, I haven't found a community here. I feel, like, alone here. Obviously, later, later we, we started establishing our kind of friend circle. And eventually, we have, like, our support circle, our community. And, and it doesn't necessarily look like what we had back in Boston or back in the Bay Area. But that made me really feel like, OK, what does that mean to me, the, the kind of not just the, the physical support, but the emotional connection and the emotional support, the cultural kind of understanding and support to me. And what does it mean to be an Asian here at Cornell? I feel like given what was going on in, in the past couple of years, especially with like Asian populations and students, I felt like me being in the cur services environments, talking to a lot of students. I felt like I'm very grateful that I'm given the platform to let them see that there at least someone in cur services that look looks like me or ha- has the same skin color that may be able to understand the root of my question or the kind of fundamental thing where I made my decision from. And so I felt like that was something that I I found to be really kind of grateful for, which is to work in the environment, to be honest, not the most diverse environment in, in career services, but be able to be the representation there and maybe even to be a safe haven for some students to open their hearts to share like, this is what I'm struggling with. And I know that you know, like the root issue, so let me tell you more about this. So that's something I feel like I'm uh, grateful for. So
3: much of what Caleb and Christina have said really resonate with me. I feel like that representation is so important. Building community is so important. I've been in at Cornell, I don't know, six, seven years now. And when I first got here, it, I mean, it's very difficult to find people of color. If I'm being completely honest, it's rather homogenous here. Um, when you look at the staff population the percentage of Asian people is, is not 6%, which is the national average. It's not 20%, which is like the percentage of Asian students at Cornell. It's really rather small. Um, so to find somebody that looks like you within this community has, has been difficult. Um, I think for me, it's been important for me, especially being here to to really recognize where I'm from. And so that means for me hosting Chinese New Year parties, it means teaching people how to make dumplings and um, showing people how I maybe, you know, steam bao or something. So to bring people together to share, you know, part of who I am has been really important. But whenever I meet somebody who, you know, I can identify with, I try to reach out. I reach out to Caleb, do a recommendation from my friend, Christine. You know, I've reached out to Christina through Facebook. If there's ever an opportunity to connect with people, I just welcome it so much because I think there's so much to learn from one another and there's so much support within this community that we can build for one another. What has really helped me is joining the women of color Club network group. I think that's just been this amazing network of women who are there to sort of lift all of us up. Whenever somebody gets promoted, whenever there's a new opportunity, you know, there's always somebody to really support that and really just be a champion for you. And I, I think that's really wonderful. My hope is that as we continue having these conversations, we continue connecting people with these stories, with our experiences, and, and just kind of create a support system for one another. I think that would be really great.
0: Yeah. And probably my experience is just is slightly different in that I think my community found me, right? And so I didn't have to go looking. And so about nine years ago, my family and I moved here from the Tampa Bay area in in Florida. I think the the biggest difference that I've noticed in the community, so where I grew up in India, it's like we're a group of like 26 or 27 villages. It's a very small group, subset of individuals. And so we have a very strong community across the United States here, right, within our 26 villages. I think the biggest difference that I'm seeing in the community that I found is that I found myself traveling a lot further to stay with that community, right? And so we're in Tampa. I was like, oh, I wasn't going to drive more than half an hour. And I didn't have to. Right. Because it's a large metropolitan area. I was able to find my whole group of people within a very short distance here in the central New York area. It's like, oh, when I say my community, it's not just the Ithaca area. It's literally like Binghamton, Syracuse, Rochester. And it also includes people in Buffalo and Albany. Right. Like like that's central New York. And that's that whole area makes up the community. And so I find myself traveling a lot further to engage with the community that I have built. But I will be honest and say that when we first moved here, we moved here for my husband's job. So this was before Cornell was even in the picture for me. People reached out to us and say, hey, we heard you just moved here, like come over for dinner. And so like being part of that kind of community, like of course I'm gonna travel two hours to go to somebody's birthday party because they welcomed me when I needed it. So the biggest difference for me has been that I haven't had to find that community within Cornell itself. Because I have this huge one outside of the immediate organization. But I also did not move here to work at Cornell, right? And so that adds to it. I will say, though, I don't live in the Ithaca area. I live in Cortland, which is about 30 minutes outside of Ithaca. And I probably have noticed things living in Cortland that I've never, like, ever paid attention to being in Tampa. The biggest thing i've noticed is sometimes i am the only one of right like whether it's asian or a person of color like in certain areas and it's not something that i've had to pay attention to in a really long time and so i think christina you were mentioning earlier about being worried for your family so when all of the things that have been happening to the asian community i've had to tell my family that they couldn't do certain things like one of the big examples is that my father-in-law who lives with us likes to go on long walks every single day he's rain or shine he's walked for like 40 years every single day and when i say long it's anywhere between like three to five miles right and i tell him that he can't go very far from the house like where i can't see him right because if he can't speak english he can't communicate with anybody and because of the environment that we live in where it's a predominantly white town I've never had to have that conversation with him in Tampa, right? I was like, okay, I go, I'll see you in an hour, you know, and that was fine. So I find myself having different types of conversations with family members and traveling much further to kind of still stay intact with that community that I found. So realizing what the Asian community is going through right now, how have each of you taken care of yourselves? What have you done for yourself?
3: (laughs) Sometimes it can be really difficult. Sometimes I feel like there's a barrage of information from different sources, from aunts and uncles, from social media, Um, just every day there's a new attack on an Asian person. And so I think sometimes just kind of have to take a step back from maybe the news coverage and just kind of think about things that are important to you. Maybe think about craft, think about cooking something, think about, you know, a book that you might want to read. I've been reading a lot of books by Asian American authors. And so I think that's been pretty helpful. So I think taking a step back from this sort of barrage of information is good.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I felt like sometimes like, it will be too much at a point that I felt like, okay, whenever I open, like let's say Apple News or whatever news, 90%, 85% of the news are negative or bad news or sad news. But to a point, I just felt like, okay, I don't need all these things to tell me what's going on and drag me down and like, my mental health or emotional kind of well-being. So that's definitely a one helpful thing that that I've also done. But something else my wife and I have been really enjoying which is to watch shows that are either talking about Asian people, families or are produced by Asian people or even just like more diverse cultures. So we've been really enjoying like The and before that we were watching like Black-ish, I was talking about Black family and their cultural struggles and, and daily, in daily life and whatnot. Like through some of these things, it also sparked some of the conversations between me and my wife to talk about, okay, what does this mean for two of us as a family? And then also be able to share some of the shows that we're watching with our friends and to tell them, you know, we'd really identify with all these things happening in the show. So, hey, why don't you like watch that? And most of those are comedies, right? And so it's like light to watch, but then also generate some conversations later on we could have.
2: Taking care of yourself, self-care, is always a bit difficult for me. But I also... Kind of got sick of apologizing for not taking care of myself in some ways, right? Like is it's just this recurring theme I either get from a supervisor or friends or like family. Like you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, that seems reasonable, right? Like a logical thing that we probably tell ourselves all the time. But for me, self-care is about also knowing that my people are okay, right? That makes me feel good. And so making sure that my family is okay, making sure that the people around me understand what's happening is in itself self-care for me too. My husband teaches ESL in Ithaca Ithaca High School and having conversations with him to make sure he's taking care of the Asian students at the high school is self-care for me too, right? And so I think about it in that way. And and I do think there's like a like there's a survival mode that folks might enter when all this overwhelming stuff is erupting. And then when we finally have the moment of like, okay, I've taken care of business, right? I've talked to people, I've checked in with people. There is that moment of like, okay, now I can actually just think about how I feel about it. And that's when maybe like the ugly crying kicks in, right, that kind of stuff. And so for me, self-care looks different at different phases, I would say. And so right now it, it really is about getting through day to day, minute by minute, and making sure I take time every day, especially now since the weather is nice, to step outside, as sad as that <laughs> sounds, right? To get some fresh air
1: and find some time for just me. Something Christina said kind of reminded me of like, for me or maybe for the for Asian community, self-care, at least for me, I felt like self-care is not a concept that's like natural. Because our culture is such a communal culture, and we were taught to, like, take care of others or care for the elderly and whatnot. We were never taught, like, you need to take care of yourself first or, like, hey, you matter, right? We always talk about the family matter, others matter, community matter. And so whenever we talk about, like, self-care, I feel like it takes, at least for me, a lot of effort to really think about what that means and what are some things I can do to, like, care for myself,
0: Christina, what you said also resonated with me because I agree that I think my immediate reaction to self-care is making sure that everybody else is taken care of. And this comes in every component of my life, including the work that I do. So it's something very hard. It's very hard for me to think about myself first. But I also think that I feel better when I'm in this mode of like, I mean, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say like when I'm problem solving for others, right? Like that makes me feel good. Like I have helped you and that in turn helps me. And so I hear you because I am very similar. And so with all the things that have been happening within the Asian community, my first mode of reaction was to making sure that like my family's taken care of. And to be honest, it's like that. And the way it shows up for me is that I start planning. I start making notes. I make to-do lists. And so I feel like I'm doing something and I'm accomplishing something. And that's helping my, whatever I'm accomplishing is helping my family. So obviously one of the conversations I had to have was with my father-in-law, as I mentioned earlier, about the walks that he takes. And so so for those of you that don't know, my husband's a manager of a hotel and we live at the hotel. And so now my father-in-law walks around the hotel. He doesn't venture very far from that, right? Another planning session that I had to put in was that my husband has done the night shift for a last like two years at the hotel, and so I had to. It took me a, a lot of bugging and bugging and bugging, and so we now have a lock on the door, and so the main door to the hotel locks at 11 o'clock at night, and he has to actually physically push a button to let somebody into the building, and that has now allowed me to sleep at night whereas before it wasn't right so and it wasn't good for him because i had an alarm set every hour every two hours i'd just be like calling him or log in because you know he gave me access to the cameras i could just see to make sure he was okay and i went through that for a while and so i think we kept realizing i was like i can't be waking up every two hours right to make sure that you're okay downstairs by yourself and so so you know though it costs the hotel some money we got a lock system in there and so that i feel safe that knowing that he's safe, right? Like, so I feel better. So there's just like I said, those kinds of planning things that I have to do for my family. And that's how I take care of myself by taking care of others. So I, I wholeheartedly hear you because I'm, I work the same way.
3: It's also been really helpful to have conversations like with my family. Sometimes it's good to, to hear about how they're doing and get out of sort of this mindset of everything is terrible. And I think uh, every day there's something horrible happening um, to kind of get some different perspective has been really helpful. And to to have these spaces and these platforms for conversations with other people to kind of get a sense of how everybody else is feeling has been really helpful. To hear different stories from different people, it's it's just all been a part of of trying to reconcile what's happening for me. These conversations are a part of it.
0: So I think we started talking about this towards the end of part one of our conversation, but How do we find inspiration to keep this conversation going and continue the momentum here, right? And so if we're having these types of conversations, as we talked earlier, it's like, how do we celebrate Asian Asian Heritage Month beyond May? What what do we do for the rest of the 11 months?
1: I think one thing works well for me when I approach other topics, which is to be really honest and, and be curious to, to ask questions, and don't pretend like, oh, this is like just what it is, or go on Google and read the news, and then, okay, that's what it is, because oftentimes things are more complex than what we see. And so I felt like I can encourage other people, if you have questions, I, I think we'll be happy to kind of have a discussion, ask us questions, we can share our experiences, and if we don't know the answer, that's another learning opportunity for us to engage in more conversations or, or read more or things like that. So I feel like be honest and ask questions um, is a good way to kind of continue this whole thing going.
2: I found a lot of inspiration based on just the abundance of resources that are out there now. Right, I remember stumbling upon—it's terrible—I forget the author, but somebody had translated a message about Black Lives Matter to all different languages, including Chinese. And I was like, that's really awesome because I was having trouble having that conversation with people in my family and my extended family, right? And, And those are complicated conversations. It can easily turn into this sense of challenging family and challenging their belief system, right? What they raised you upon. And so I thought that was a fantastic resource that I was able to use. And so it's a perfect blend, I think, of you doing your own work, but then also sharing those resources. I remember sending that to a lot of people be like, this is really good stuff. Like, I I hope you use it, right? And so that's been inspiring because sometimes you just don't know where to start in some ways to address some of these things that are really meaningful to you and to keep conversations going, right? So I've been really inspired by the spaces that have been created, the resources that are available, um, and that people are, are creating and sharing.
0: I would just add that maybe message to our listeners that we as Asians also shouldn't be afraid to just share our stories, even when we aren't asked to share stories. You know, like I I don't necessarily want us to feel like we can only share if people ask us questions. If people are talking about holidays, I'm just going to jump right into that conversation. I'm going to tell you about my holidays, right? Or if people are talking about what family means, I'm just going to jump right in and talk about what family means to me. You know, like, for example, I share with everybody, I said in, in my language and the culture that I grew up in, like, we don't have a word for cousins. Everybody's considered your brothers and your sisters, right? And so I said, and so when when, ta- when people talk about cousins, I said, like, for me, I don't even know what second cousin means or third cousin means, because I don't even have a first cousin, right, in my culture. So if people are talking, I just, I just jump right in. So I think it's something that I want to encourage our listeners to say, like, don't be afraid to share your own stories all right? and your viewpoints and, and your beliefs and and information about your
3: heritage. I agree. Around this time, around April, well, it's May already, but um, <laughs> this time I usually celebrate Qingming Festival, which is kind of like a a little bit of a strange holiday for people who've never heard of it. You go to the cemetery and you essentially have food there. You're sort of having like a picnic at a cemetery. You like burn things that represent gifts to your ancestors, like offerings to your ancestors and being in Ithaca for six years. Every time I celebrate it, I'll go back to the office and I'll tell everybody who'll listen about what I did over the weekend. I went to the cemetery in Westchester and I lit some incense and I ate some roast pork on right there in the cemetery with the rest of my family and that's what I did over the weekend and so and people have been really nice about it (laughs) and I think it's important to share this um, so that people can can see okay this is this is maybe different from the way that I celebrate my ancestors but there's something really honest and good about that and maybe there's some correlation with you know, your, your heritage, maybe you celebrate like Diestes Miertes, I think Day of the Dead, maybe you celebrate Memorial Day. There are some connections there to be had. And I think it's interesting to think about perhaps how you can identify with what we're trying to do here, which is to celebrate our ancestors and to, to find a way to connect to our heritage and keep traditions going. So I'm always a fan of celebrating and sharing the ways in which (laughs) I honor, you know, my heritage and my background being a Chinese American.
0: Christina, hey, hey, Caleb, as we wrap up this series, I want to thank you for sharing your stories. What you shared was just so valuable and insightful. And I I mean, it gave me things to think about. And I'm sure it gave our listeners things to think about and reflect upon. So I want to thank each of you for joining me today. Thank Thank you for having us. That's it for this special series. We would like to thank each and every one of our guests for their vulnerability and for sharing their stories in honor of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toro Patel.
1: My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to AAPI at Cornell.